Hey, it's Greg Brady. Welcome once again to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm in for Bill this week and next. It's Thursday, June 25th, and we got a lot done today. We had to talk about the China and Canada relations today with the letter that went to Justin Trudeau urging basically a hostage swap uh, for Meng Wanzhou, the Huawei executive that's going to be potentially extradited to the United States. China wants her back. And we want the two Michaels back. So is there a deal to be made? Talk about that in the open as well as the remarkable spike in cases in the United States. You have a right to be concerned. You have a right to be horrified by what's happening across our borders. Weighing in on those issues, this is a real special treat. The host of the Roy Green Show, who amazingly enough is named Roy Green. He weighs in with his concept of what the prime minister should say and whether we should let this Huawei Chief Financial Officer, go so that the two Michaels held in China can come home. What should the Toronto Blue Jays do? They want to play games in Toronto, but a lot of people aren't so sure that they should. In fact, many are wondering whether Prime Minister Trudeau, who's got a lot on his plate, will have to give a hard no or a firm yes. Justin Trudeau could give them the green light, should he? We talk about that. And joining us to talk about a real damning report for all of us about our long-term care COVID-19 deaths. We didn't do nearly as well, and we did much, much poorly, as a matter of fact, as many other industrialized first world nations in taking care of our seniors. We know that already, but the numbers are especially damning. How it happened and what could be done to prevent it if there's a second wave. We'll talk to Christina Lewan, who's a senior researcher for the Canadian Institute for Health Information. It's all coming up next on the Bill Kelly Podcast. Enjoy today's podcast. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. If we're going to do four-day work weeks, I think people have this wrong. If we're ever going to get to four-day work weeks, you know the day you want off? Yesterday. I don't mean the day specifically yesterday, like something, you know, June 24th that something went wrong. But we do two two-day mini work weeks. Stop this three-day weekend business. I get it. Now and then you want to go away. Use your vacation time for that. There will be enough holidays. You'll find a way through it. But next week, Canada Day is on the Wednesday. Like, for example, I'll do this show Monday and Tuesday, not Wednesday, and then Thursday and Friday. That seems like a pretty good work week to me. This four days in a row business, people, like, do we have the endurance for this anymore? Look what we're being put through. Look what we've gone through. Look what we still have to go through. That's the way forward. Okay? None of this... Hey, Monday off, three-day weekend. Friday off, three-day weekend. You get a lot less done. So your employer is going to spot that. We're not in in the old world, right? Lumberg's not going to come by your desk with his cup of coffee and his suspenders and lean on it and you know wonder why you're carving up a fish or uh, or destroying your cubicle. Okay, can't get enough office space. Can't get enough of it. Obsessed. No idea. No idea why that movie didn't do better. It's a cult thing. It didn't do great at the box office. You got your Jennifer Aniston. You got your, what's his name? He was also in Sex and the City, you, the Peter character. Uh, you got a lot happening in that movie, okay? Oh, you got the uh, the office, Milton, right, with the stapler. You got it all happening. Okay, Office Space, 1999. You got to check that out. Um I'm going to get to this Canada-China thing. We're going to talk to Roy Green. I'm very excited to do that. Got tremendous respect for Roy. You hear him right here, of course, on CHML and all across the country uh, with the Saturday and Sunday shows. So Roy's going to join me at 930, and we're going to talk about this hostage situation. That's what it certainly has become. I heard it. I heard uh, driving in today, uh, shocking news from China. And I'm like, it's it's not shocking. 
that they are willing to, <laughs> to trade the two Michaels back to Canada for the release of Meng Wanzhou. Uh, it's it's the least shot. It's it's unshocking. I'm not shockable with that information. Okay, I'm shock proof. It's not. It's the op- It's the antithesis. You just used an antonym to describe what shocking is when you, when you tell me the two Michaels could get free and get back to where they belong here in Canada. No, no, it's not shocking that China's like, yeah, uh, we're being a bad actor here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're using them as pawns. Yeah, we want our Huawei executive uh, back. We can't have her extradited to the uh, good old United States of America. And that's where I want to start is with the USA today. By the way, we had uh, we had Doug Ford on, and I didn't quite know how to take, um, you know, a, a objective. I want to hit him on some questions about health care, the pandemic pay that's been missed so far, how, you know, maybe maybe we're not getting the mask thing right, and I want to talk about that as well this segment. Um, he says doesn't want to make masks mandatory, doesn't want it to be a police state. I have to take him at face value for that. Like, here's how it works. You can yell and spar back and forth with a guest. I think it's better to be polite, to press them on something, challenge them, follow up on something. But uh, but but getting into a screaming match, uh, A, we, he, we didn't have time for it. We only had an allotted amount of minutes. And B, you know, his answers are laid out there. You decide whether you accept the answers or not. I do as well, okay? But nonetheless... I didn't quite know how to take the end of this particular interview because I didn't want to feel like I was lobbing in. You know, I didn't want that interview uh, to be said to take place at like Softball City. I didn't want it to seem like a, a Thursday night beer league slow pitch league where you're getting just, cre- you know, cream puffs, roll it, you know, giant cotton balls getting thrown in the air for you to whack out to left field. Here's, <laughs> here's how the Premier of Ontario uh, ended the interview with me yesterday uh, in this time slot. Thanks so much, Greg. You're an absolute champion. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, one more time, Alicia. Can we just again? Not, it's not for for an ego purpose. Let's just let's have that one more time. Thanks so much, yeah. Greg. You're an absolute champion. Thank you. Um. Okay. It, I mean, is he wrong? I, you know, and I didn't know. You know, is it personally? Um. We've met once. There's no way he'd remember it. <laughs> but uh, is it is it about my uh, question asking ability? Is it about my uh, I, I I certainly don't think it's about my athletic accomplishments lately, because um, I'm fading fast. I'm uh, you know I, I'm you know I'm eating more than I have in the last little bit. But that's that you know that's great. I, I want the other parties. I want I want leaders from the other parties to say that. I want Andrea Horvath to come on and and say that at the end. Um, I'm good with that. Stephen Del Duca, when the time is right, let's let's do that as well. I'm all about equ- I'm all about equality, right? I'm giving you information, not affirmation here. You're an absolute champion. I, thank thank you. you. You're right. Just for that alone. I- <laughs> Are you watching me play tennis lately? Because I haven't. You know, yesterday was the first day I picked up a racket in nine days. It could be anything. Okay, enough from Doug. No more Doug. Uh, maybe later if I need a little boost later in the show. Just a, it's it's like a just a quick. Uh, Five-hour energy uh, shot. That's that's what I'm looking for. All right. The numbers in the U.S. Are you watching these? Are you starting to get the concept that it's, how would I put it, beyond troublesome, beyond concerning, and it seems irreversible? The numbers are out of control. And if you have relatives in the States... 
if you go to the states, we, we talked with Premier Ford about that. No, not now, not now. I, I'm not. I, I'm good in that for now. Maybe at the, maybe around 10:30 if I'm if I'm feeling a little peaked. Okay, but um, we talked about the border being closed and the urgency that Ontario has. We saw the Atlantic bubble created yesterday. The Atlantic provinces say we're doing so well. We've done all the right things, and. We don't want people from Ontario and Quebec coming. That's basically what they said yesterday. I don't blame them in the least. I, I, our kind, me, you, your neighbor, they they don't want us right now. And that's cool. No problem. Summarily, we don't want Americans in our country right now. Oh, my God, no. Okay? We can empathize with them. We can give them calls. We can talk to them on Zoom. I've got relatives in Ohio. My sister lives in upstate New York. Uh, I, I've got so many friends in Michigan that I, I check in on. We lived there for a decade. My first son was born in Michigan. So there's a, a lot of concern from me about them. And I'm sure you're no different. Yesterday, 38,115 new infections. The previous single day record was 34,203. And that was two months ago today. I want you to think about those numbers. They they rattle me to my core. 34203 was the single day record April 25th. That was 60 days ago. So you start doing the hard work. You shut things down. Of course we can't stay locked in forever. Of course we can't uh, shelter in place forever. We're all doing more. We're we're taking chances. Some of them we're confident in, some of them we're wary about but we're feeling better about our existence, I think, here in Ontario. But they took that record and, like, shattered it yesterday. And today, I promise you, and I'm not going to be proud that I'm right about this prediction. I'd rather be I'd rather be wrong about this. There's a lot of hosts that just, they have to be right all the time. They have to go, go with stuff early. That num- You're going to see 40,000-plus new COVID-19 infections reported by the state health departments today. And we're suspicious, some are, about some of the numbers that they're giving us in certain southern states. Let's look at you, Florida. Texas, Florida, California leading the way. All three states, more than 5,000 new cases apiece. What is happening? And we know what is happening, and I'm going to lay out some of the demographics as to why. I want to bring it home locally, right? Local, lead local, localize the lead. Old news trick. Ontario's peak, peak, was May 3rd, 2,760 cases. Now, uh, we've got 15 million people. California has almost 40. Okay? That's a that's a huge border to handle. Um, there are a lot of crossings. There are a lot of major cities. And California was was you know getting the work done. Their governor has been remarkably proactive. Their governor basically said, "We're gonna we're gonna be like this till Labor Day. Like we're sheltering in place till September." And now all of a sudden, whether it's been economic pressure, whether it's been federal government pressure, sports about returning. You know how many like how many baseball teams are there in California? Giants and A's play in one city. Dodgers. Angels in uh, Orange County in Anaheim, the L.A. Angels of Anaheim, right? Used to be the California Angels. San Diego Padres, five teams, okay? Five of 30 Major League Baseball teams are all in that state, and they are spiking out of control, absolutely spiking. Now, what about the masks? I mentioned the masks a little bit earlier in the show. 
Here's four different categories um, about states and masks. And this is a great cautionary tale for Ontario. And I will tell you, I just went into a Starbucks like not 15 minutes ago, right? Show's ready. Employees with masks, four out of four. Everybody wearing a mask. Um, I couldn't hear what the woman said a couple of times, but she wrote my name on my coffee, so I knew I had the right one. Thank God for felt tip markers. Customers with masks. I was one. There was another woman. Uh, 11 other people didn't have masks. Two out of 13. That's not very good. Two out of 13. So employees were four for four. Customers were two out of 13. Wear one. Will you just wear one when you're going in a store? I don't care if you're biking. Don't wear one. Walking outside, don't wear one. Going to get the mail, forget about it. Don't go in a store without one. Okay? Especially an indoor store. Especially ventilation. We don't know what the ventilation's like. Okay? We don't know what the air quality's like. Um, you know, it, it is absolutely, yeah. Uh, Kashil is writing me right now on Twitter, Greg Brady T.O. It's off-putting in a grocery store when people don't wear the masks. Exactly. Of course it is. But four categories from the states. And this is from uh, the National Governors Association, New York Times. Mandatory, there's four different categories of mask use. Okay, I want to lay them out for you. I wish I could show you the graph, but it's radio. You're going to have to use your mind here just for harder than usual for a couple minutes. Mandatory in public. Okay. Some states have mandatory mask laws. I wish Ontario did. I asked the premier about that yesterday. He said he doesn't want it to be. Uh, it, it, it's an enforcement issue more than anything. But the recommendation, he's highly, highly recommending we do. Required by employees and patrons of certain businesses. So that's the second level. Not mandatory in public, but what I just mentioned. Businesses required by employees. Those 11 people that walked into that Starbucks, you can't come in without one. You cannot. Okay? We'd love to have your business put a damn mask on. Third, required by employees of certain businesses. Okay? Your, you know, it does your clothing store, could be Mark's Work Warehouse, could be Sport Check, required by employees of certain businesses. And the fourth category, recommended but not required. Recommended but not required. I'm going to give you, in between June 1st and June 21st, new cases. If the states that have made this mandatory in public, their cases have gone down 25%. States that make the mandatory mask in public, okay? You Even walking down the street. I don't even need to go that far. But look at the difference. 25% down in cases in those states. And some of those states have a lot of big cities, okay? A lot of foot traffic, a lot of public transit. Required by employees and patrons of certain businesses, down 12%. Now... Hold on to something tight, even if it's the steering wheel. Hands at a 10 and 2 o'clock position. That's how we all got our tests, right? 9 and 3 doesn't cut it. Uh, required by employees of certain businesses, plus 70%. The week of June 1st to 7th, there were 28,000 in some cases. The week of June 15th to 21st, there were 48,000 in some cases nationwide, plus 70. Recommended masks, but not required, and that's where we are. 38,638 on June 1st to 7th, 71,165, 15th to 21st. A rise of 84%. Face masking is unbelievably effective. You contain your viral particles, and I contain mine. And we talk and we release them. And we breathe and we release them. So it's amazing how scientific studies... And GD common sense 
both say the same thing here. Masks help limit the spread of the coronavirus. Plain and simple. Okay? I don't want to give you a lecture today, and I'm not going to bring this up again the rest of the show. We won't talk about masks again. But the whole point, you're not only protected from others, asymptomatic carriers, uh, but you're also protecting, you're also giving them peace of mind. And I think we need that in, in not just in moderation, but in large quantities right now. So now look, some of that is testing capacity. Uh, here's what a, let's see who he is. Cause I want to use the quote. Jade Flynn is a nurse educator for the John Hopkins biocontainment unit. And here's her quote. The whole point of the mask is to ensure you are not only protected from others, but asymptomatic characters, someone who is a uh, carrier, excuse me, someone who is well and may not know they've been exposed to the virus contain viral particles that they may be producing when interacting with others. Masking is something, this is the important part. Masking is something that is not ingrained in our culture. This is something we have to revisit. And there has to be a sense that we have to wear a mask for others, not just ourselves. I hope we're going to be okay here. Uh, we don't have near the horror show. And it is that that's happening in a lot of the U.S. states right now. I'm expecting horrifying numbers from Florida, California, Texas, Georgia, all these states. New York State, if anything, has started to get their act together. Again, I said my sister lives in upstate New York. It's getting better. And people are catching on as to what they need to do and what they were not doing before. Masks haven't been made mandatory in Hamilton. Okay? Um, the city of Guelph decided to do it. The city of Hamilton did not. <sighs> I hope we get to where we, we're going to get to, but masks will help us along the way. There just isn't any question about that. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. This was a, a, a case that, you know, I get sometimes you tell stories about in, international relations on the radio, especially in 2020. And sometimes people glaze over a little bit. I, I get it. We're all worried about our households, our backyards, our communities, uh, being able to do the things we once did. Absolutely. A lot of lead stories have been pushed to the sideline because of, what we're dealing with, important things. COVID-19 is very important. Um, Anti-black racism and, and how the police are readjusting, also incredibly important. But so is this story, and it's a two-year story now. But this was a plot twist I think we didn't see coming. There's a group of high-profile Canadians. Uh, some worked for the Chrétien government, some worked for the Harper government, and they all signed a letter saying, we've got to end this extradition uh, for Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. Because we want the two Michaels back. And there are some people saying, obviously, you know, th these are really high-profile people, people who have had power, people who have had influence in, in government and in the private sector. And there are certainly, certainly people saying, wait a minute, we're doing China's work here. We're kind of caving in a little bit on the rule of law. And then what will the Americans do? Because they want this case, okay? They want they want Meng Wanzhou there to stand trial on what she is charged with. It's got so many complexities. I'm eager to bring in our next guest. Uh, you hear him on the weekends with the Roy Green Show, not only here, 900 CHML in Hamilton, but of course, nationwide. He's a three-time consecutive winner of the Canadian Association of Broadcasters National Gold Ribbon Award. And Roy, we all know there were some voting irregularities in that fourth year. I, everybody talked about it. Uh, they, I think they they fixed the system after this. But you know, you were you were you were you were very very graceful about it. Thanks for taking the time to come on with me. Hey, Greg, always a pleasure, and I've been a big fan of your work for a long time. Amazing for you to say that. I uh, sure. I, I really really appreciate it. 
this is um, like I said, international relations. I, I, you know, I, I get really excited about this stuff. I think you do as well. Did you see yesterday coming where there'd be a lot of people, like I said, who, who've held a lot of sway, a lot of power, really trying to influence the Trudeau government to make this move? No surprise at all. Yeah, no surprise at all. And the, of the 19 people who signed that letter, I'm not surprised at the names either. Uh, yes, they were members of conservative governments, but I'm not surprised at any of the names that are on that list. And what really what I want to get at here is we have 19 former politicians and a former Supreme Court justice arguing Canada can set aside an extradition treaty obligation with the United States and release Meng Wanzhou from her rather luxurious detention hmm. as she battles in Canadian courts to convince the Canadian justice system to let her return to China. These 19 signatories of this letter to Justin Trudeau are dismissing the decision by the British Columbia Supreme Court just weeks ago that Ms. Meng must continue to be detained. Greg, we're being played by China, and my fear is the Trudeau government, Trudeau's protestations to the contrary notwithstanding, will decide to return Meng Wanzhou to the PRC. It's appeasement. And my definition of appeasement on Twitter last night, the lamb may lie down with the lion, but the odds are it won't be getting much sleep. Where do you think the public lies in this? And would Justin Trudeau do this uh, to curry favor among those who criticize him seemingly at at every step, some valid and, and some obviously partisan politics? But do you think Trudeau would be swayed and think this is something, you know, this happy ending for the two Michaels will be quick, will be remembered a long time and and the extradition will be forgotten very quickly? Well, how do we know there's a quid pro quo? I mean, I know the Chinese foreign affairs uh, foreign ministry official has hinted of the fact that mm-hmm. the two Michaels may be released from China, but China has also significantly and repeatedly said their arrest has absolutely nothing to do with the Hmong case. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Trudeau and his government move in this direction and, and release Hmong Wanzhou. Trudeau has expressed his admiration for the basic dictatorship of China shortly after becoming leader of the Liberal Party. And we have the fact that his new foreign affairs minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, financed mortgages for two London apartments through Chinese government banks. You know, that should have been addressed the minute China began to bully Canada. And, Greg, they've done it Mm -hmm. repeatedly through their ambassadors to this country and through their foreign affairs official. I wouldn't be surprised if they go ahead and do this. But then we have to consider what's the reaction going to be from Washington. We have an extradition treaty that we signed with Washington that could come to our benefit as well. And uh, what's the reaction going to be, not just from the Trump uh, government, they may be gone in November, who mm-hmm. knows, but going forward, this is our closest relationship is with the United States, not with China. And I tweeted last night, Greg, if you want to, if you really, why don't you, uh, if, if you want to get a good opinion on what we should do, ask Canadians who are preparing to flee Hong Kong. Ask the people of Hong Kong yeah. whether we should be doing business with China this way. Unless they give us an absolute assurance that they would release the two Michaels, I don't think we should even consider this. In fact, I wouldn't consider it even if they gave us the assurance because we have laws and we have treaties and we have responsibilities. I want those two guys home, believe me. We had Guy Saint-Jacques on the air with us on Sunday, the Canadian ambassador to China from 2012 to 2016, and he described to us what the two Michaels are living through. It's absolute torture. And they, they should never have been arrested in the first place. But the appeasement in our time is not going to work. Roy Green, the Roy Green Show. You'll hear it right here in the afternoon, 900 CHML, Saturday and Sunday. It's it. Yeah, we wonder about um, reprisals from the U.S. My thought is, and, and yours might be as well, 
they've got a lot of their own issues going on. Might there might be a you know a tweet from Trump here, a tweet from Trump there, but like you said, um, it's you know we've parted ways with the U.S. before. We didn't go into the you know Iraq War in 2002. We have dis- you know disputed and ab- vehemently disagreed on some foreign policy issues before. Would they notice? Would they take reprisals against us if we drop the case? Do we have treaty obligations if we sign a treaty? with another country, particularly the United States. If we have treaty obligations, then we should live up to our treaty obligations. Remember, there is another letter that is circulating from more than a dozen senators, some of them um, appointed by Justin Trudeau, calling for the application of the Magnitsky Law sanctions against Chinese officials for violating the basics of human rights. That letter is not getting nearly as much attention as the one which is calling for the, the release of Wang Wanzhou. We have, Wang Wanzhou, we have a responsibility as a nation, to live up to our treaty expectations. And don't forget again, it was the British Columbia Supreme Court that decided, not a letter that was from 19 individuals based on a decision by a Toronto lawyer, who's a fine immigration lawyer, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but the British Columbia Supreme Court made the decision that Ms. Mung must be detained. So our laws are in play. Our one of, the British Columbia Supreme Court made the decision, are we going to respect our own courts? Are we going to respect the treaties we sign? I think we should. Yeah, if you're the BC Supreme Court, uh, you're just you know if this happens, Roy, you're you're like what are what are we doing here? What's what's the purpose of of the court in the first place and and the rule of law in the first place? I'm curious to know what you think, uh, where you think and- Andrew Shear will lay in on this. Uh, I don't he care. has n- he has not gone quietly into the night. You know, mid December comes, he's going to abdicate. He's out of there. Conservatives wanted him out of there in the first place. Let alone the paying for private school quote unquote it scandal. Be, it shouldn't matter. We have a responsibility to live up to our treaty obligations. It's really that simple. And listen to our courts. If Trudeau is going to be saying that our courts are independent of government and our courts will make the decision, then listen to what the Supreme Court of British Columbia decided. And really, this is another reason why Canada's parliament should be sitting at this time. We could be having a really vigorous debate in Canada's parliament observed by the people of Canada. This should not be playing itself out. Well, it should be playing itself out in the media, but based on what is being said in Canada's parliament. But our parliament has been shuttered Mm -hmm. by the Trudeau government with the assistance of the NDP, which I think the NDP is going to regret in the long term. I'd be remiss if I didn't get your uh, your read. I started the show talking about the the spike of U.S. cases. You've been doing shows, uh, you know, but based on COVID nineteen. Now we all have for for three and a half months, but it is spiraling out of control. It's 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 a horrible horrible look for the U.S. and uh, and and it's not getting any better. I know a lot of these cases are younger people. Deaths haven't rose exponentially like cases have in the last few weeks, but that could be the next step. What, what's your observation of a? of something so spiraling out of control doesn't seem to be federal leadership. The messaging is all over the map. If anything, it's like the the, the message is anti-mask, anti-social distance from the president, obviously. Yeah, I, 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 we have individual responsibilities, and individual responsibilities are that we should, and government leadership has to be there, but we have individual responsibilities to safeguard our friends, our neighbors, our families from the uh, extension of this COVID-19. I, Greg, there's just so many things we don't know about this virus. Has Mr. Trump done this appropriately, properly? No, absolutely not. Uh, but he's, and I'm not making excuses mm-hmm. for the man, but he's not the, not the only one. We really need to listen to people like um, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, who's a regular guest on my program, the infectious diseases specialist from the University of Toronto and Toronto General Hospital. Just a brilliant guy. Um, this, whole, this whole virus just is so scary because we don't know what the component parts are of it yet. 
and we don't know whether we're going to have a, a vaccine in, in short order or whether it'll be years until there's a vaccine. We know far less than, than, than we should know, and the numbers out of the United States, that's really, really, really alarming, hugely alarming, because ultimately that's also going to affect our borders. And you know how much trade uh, is dependent on our borders being open. I know trucks are getting across, mm-hmm. but there's so many, so much more in pl- at play here. Yeah, I, the numbers in the U.S., I look at them every day, and it scares the bedazzles out of me. It's, uh, it's an unbelievable time to do talk radio. It is. What's, like, 9-11, we saw, uh, you know, an expiration date inside. We knew there'd be, you know, with the Taliban, we knew there'd be, um, you know, military action from the U.S. And, and probably multinational, which it was. But outside of the – and I think it's important to tell our listeners that talk radio in this format didn't exist during World War II. No matter what people think, it did not exist between 1930 – that's about the only thing I can think of where it would have been a more interesting time to host talk radio, yeah, right? I've never experienced anything like this. I was on the air the morning of 9-11 mm-hmm. uh, at CHML. That was still – the 9 to news slot was still my slot at that time. And uh, I was walking into the studio, and uh, Bob Bertina, who's now a member of Parliament, was the morning show host at the time. Bob said, there's been a terrible accident. A plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. And we began the show normally, and just saying, you know, we're going to follow up on what's happened. And, of course, we know what happened thereafter and for several years to come. But all of the factors, all the moving parts that are in play at the moment in news and society, I have never in my career as a broadcaster, seen anything nearly like this. And we have not only opportunity, but we have responsibility in our business uh, as, as broadcasters and talk radio hosts uh, to inform and engage. And from what I'm hearing, I like what I'm hearing so far. Yeah, it's it's remarkable that day. Um, I'm doing 9 to noon as well, Roy, and that, that second plane hits the billy. You're, you're, you're prepping the show. The first plane's hitting. You're like, what a terrible yeah, accident. Yeah. Second plane and the yeah. whole span of programming changes. You got people calling and, and trying to find relatives in, in New York City. All yeah. the cell phones are down for the, the technology. Way worse 19 years ago. Um, it's an unforgettable moment and etched in my brain, just it like is. yours. And, and going down the road, when we look back over the la- these last months, Mm. And what lies ahead in the shorter, or who knows, longer term, likely the longer term, Greg, there is going mm. to be, there'll be much reflection and much history written about what's going on right now. We're living history. Mm. We're really living a major societal national, international, historical development. It'll be great when we can get back someday. We're doing the normal things, and like a lead story during a newscast involves like the Kardashians or something like that. Let's go. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. (laughs) Will the Leafs ever win the Stanley Cup again? (laughs) Well, there's fans that somehow don't want them to win this year in an empty (laughs) arena in Edmonton, and I get that, but come on. I mean, a win's a win, right? Hey, listen, I'm a Habs fan, man. (laughs) (laughs) Don't start with me. (laughs) Well, they're in the playoffs. They could make life difficult for the Penguins, right? They're in the quote-unquote playoffs if we ever get there. again. <laughs> Roy Green is on 2 to 5 uh, Saturday, 2 to 5 Sunday. Thank you so much for taking some time. I loved every second. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Greg. Great talking to you. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about the Blue Jays and they want to be able to break basically the rule that we've all been living by, break the quarantine and come up here and play their home games. Schedule hasn't been put together yet. But it's a 60-game Major League Baseball schedule. It's going to be a weird season. We know that. DH in both leagues. There's all sorts of specifics. 16 teams in the playoffs. That's good for a younger, building-up team like Toronto. We know how good the young bats were with Toronto last year. Pitching was a big, big problem. Um, But without breaking it down too much, 
I want to know what you think the Canadian government should do. Say yes to the Blue Jays or say, oh, heavens no, quite bluntly. Four, uh, 905-645-3221. That's 905-645-3221. Pound 9900. 905-645-3221. Pound 9900. Uh, Dunedin, Florida. Lots of cases. Florida is swelling right now with new cases. They had 5,499 yesterday. If you don't know where Dunedin is, it's on the west side of uh, Florida, about west central Florida is the best way I can put it, near Tampa. Tampa's the closest major city. I guess you get almost, it's almost between Tampa and Orlando, but it's closer to the Tampa area. So is Clearwater, um, where the uh, where the Red Sox and Phillies uh, play near. Winter Haven, um, around there as well. So I'm looking for your opinion. Me, I'm an absolute no on this. And look, it's easier for the Blue Jays. I'd love for the players to be able to play in their home stadium. There's two struggles there. One is there's the temptation to play indoors. And I don't think that they should, even in an empty stadium. You're seeing success right now in sport in the English Premier League and the German Bundesliga because there's no domes on those stadiums. And you're playing in outdoor air. I think that's a big problem for the NFL teams coming up is if you play in a dome stadium, if you're the Detroit Lions, if you're the Minnesota Vikings, ooh, find another place. Play on the play at the university stadiums. It doesn't matter. Those stadiums are equipped for TV. Those st- stadiums you're able to play in open air. Why would you want to play inside a dome if you don't have to do that? Okay? 30 games we're talking, and the question isn't even about the Jays themselves, though it's a lot of back and forth, back and forth over the border. But you know what baseball is like. Eight-game homestands, nine-game homestands. Now, let's say the Jays are at home for the nine games, okay? As I said, you're going to have Baltimore roll in for three games. The Yankees roll in for three games. The Rays roll in for three games. No way to trace those players. And they can come and go as they please. It's the opposite of the NBA. Wouldn't this be a problem for Toronto? And if you don't live in Toronto, I, I understand. But they're bringing it into the province. How many people want to go to Toronto? How many people have to go to Toronto? Those are two very different things, but this is concerning, okay? We've done really, really well. It's a, Look, I'd love to go to the States to travel. I said that to Doug Ford yesterday. Love to go to Chicago. I've wanted to take my family to California for ages. We've been putting off this trip and putting off this trip. We want to go to, you know, L.A., up and down, rent a car, go to L.A., go to Northern California, right? Maybe Alcatraz. Maybe uh, Disney in floor in, in in L.A., San Diego, most incredible city on the planet, basically, outside of Hamilton. But we want to do these things. And there's great difference of opinion as to when we're going to be able to do them. But let's not screw this up. And the solution, if you don't want to play in Florida, if you're the Blue Jays, who can't understand that right now? So play in Buffalo. Play in upstate New York. Their cases are much, much better than they were at one point in time. Buffalo's worst scenario, or New York State, I should say, their worst scenario, Erie County, okay? They are doing much, much better. It's 390,000 people in uh, in Erie County alone, okay? Uh, 390,000 cases total, I should say, in Erie County. But play where the, the AAA team plays. You're across the border. You're closer to Toronto. You don't have to take long flights. If you're playing, if you're centered in Buffalo, and the Yankees are playing at Yankee Stadium, the Orioles, Camden Yards, Boston, Fenway Park, shorter flights. Go to Florida, longer flights. 
I would figure if I'm a Major League Baseball player, I want to be on a plane as little as damn possible. And like I said, because they're not bubbling, they're not setting up in a hub like the NHL plan is. They're not all in Orlando like the NBA plan is. This has a lot more peril to it. This has a lot more recipe for disaster written all over it. And we're seeing that with positive numbers right now, aren't we? 905-645-3221. I'm not for for Justin Trudeau saying... Hey, you know, to here's the quote, okay, Blue Jays, you do what you want. We'll open the border, and all these teams can come in, and you go back and forth. And if I'm a player, I want to play on grass. I want to play in Buffalo, empty stadium, where the cases are a lot lower, and the, and the regulations are tighter, and you're not spiking like Florida is, like Dunedin is. That's a big problem for me. 905-645-3221. Pound 9900. What do you think, Stuart? You're on 900 CHML. Uh, thank you for the phone call. What's your thought on this? Absolutely not. Uh, keep them in, in one area. I think Buffalo is a great idea for them. It's their, it's their home area for, for the AAA team. Um, my, only, my only concern is who's going to collect all the foul balls? Um, <laughs> Well, they won't. Well, they won't lose money on foul balls. Somebody, uh, some lackey, will have to get uh, all thirty or forty of them at uh, at the end of the game, right? They won't run out. Thanks for the phone call. It's remarkable. Yeah, that's that's the biggest issue. Um, you know, Canada's done so well flattening the curve, and the U.S. is not doing well. And the U.S. is doing quite poorly, as a matter of fact. Okay, um, like that's it's. They're not getting a C minus. They get an F. F for Florida. It's the it's the basically. Unless if Florida was in Brazil, there'd be perfect harmony with the epicenters of the virus on the entire planet. But Florida's not in Brazil, last time I checked. So there's states with multiple MLB teams. I said during the 9 o'clock hour, five teams in California, Rays and Marlins in Florida. Why would you want to add a third Major League Baseball team to that community, to that state? Okay, I get that it's spread out, a lot of driving involved, but there's flying involved. If I'm a Blue Jay player... I don't want three-hour flights everywhere. Okay, you could like I, I wouldn't even fly from Buffalo to New York City. Take a few buses, spread out on the bus. You ever see a band tour? You think you think these established bands that get on their tour buses? You think when the Eagles, not the Philadelphia ones, but the band go on tour, uh, Don Henley's riding on the same bus as Joe Walsh? No, he isn't. <laughs> There's that funny smell coming from Joe Walsh's bus. He doesn't want anything to do with. So you got those scenario with the Jays where they absolutely could play in Buffalo, make this work. But if you're the Canadian government, I'm not giving them the choice. It's a flat no. I've already said no. I got it. Justin Trudeau's got, got a lot to deal with. Got a lot to deal with. This is an easy one. This is an easy one. And I know. I know we've got cities that are advocating and and barracking to have the NHL hub cities be there. Edmonton put a big campaign together. Toronto wants this in the worst way, and I understand it. Okay? Sportsnet's got the games. They've got their people, great broadcasters there, and they want them as close as possible, make things convenient for them. And the broadcasters sure don't want to travel. Camera people don't want to travel. So I understand it. If If they can do the hub in Toronto and they can quarantine the players properly... Absolutely. That's fine. Because once you're here, you're not going back across the border. The Jays are going and coming back multiple, multiple times. The Yankees, the Rays, 
The Red Sox, the Orioles, they're all coming here a bunch of different times. One more on this. Mike, you're on 900 CHML. Mike, what should the government do here? Go ahead, Mike, you're on. Mike, I can hear you just briefly. Let's check Mike's line, make sure he's speaking. He may have uh, dropped off. Or he got nervous, like when I used to call and ask for, like, In Excess or Tears for Fears songs to the DJ in, like, 1985. You get a little nervous. I was 13. Mike's probably not 13 and calling. Oh, Jay? Okay, Jay, you're on 900 CHML. Go ahead, Jay. Jane, I'm sorry, Jane. Go ahead. Hello, Jane. Hi. Hi. My idea, it's, it's, it's perfect for what you're saying. It's simple, perfect. That's why the government won't do it. <laughs> it makes too much sense. What's the idea? What, what you suggested. Okay, for the, for the, um, for the baseball. Play in Buffalo. They won't do it. It makes too much sense. So what? Play in Buffalo, right? Yes, sir. Just makes too much sense. That's so, why the government won't do it. Both governments won't do it. Are you worried that the government will give in to the Blue Jays and say, yeah, go ahead and play here, and then we've got all these people coming across the border from all these hotspots? Um, no, not really, because Buffalo and um, the um, – I'm sorry. I don't talk properly. I apologize. No, I understand. So, but are you worried that they're going to say yes and the Blue Jays will come up here after all? Well, they're going to have to do something, okay? But I don't want them playing in Dunedin. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. And in and, and New York State, he, they've been wonderful. He knows what he's doing, okay? Mm-hmm. He, as far as I'm concerned, he knows what he's doing. He's made it simple. That's why either government won't do it. It's too simple. Makes well, sense. I appreciate the phone call. Um, yeah, you know what? I want the safest place for the players, okay? Like, we're all we're all doing this, right? We're all looking out for number one, and then we have to we have to switch our arc on this and look out for the greater good. Like, I'm doing both. I think we're all battling and trying to do both at the same time. I don't want the players down there. I don't think the players want to be down there. The the Blue Jays, and I can tell you their parent company, uh, don't want the players in Dunedin. Doesn't look good on TV. They'd have to play a lot of day games, and they may have to anyway, but the lights don't make for a good t- TV product. They'll be fine in Buffalo. If anything, put some money into the infrastructure at the park in Buffalo and make the lights a little better. It's going to be a really interesting call. I actually think the government's going to say no on this, and I don't think there's going to be a ton of pushback. The Jays can ask. Again, you can ask for a lot of things in life. Doesn't mean you're getting them. And I think Buffalo is an ideal solution. I'm not hearing enough people talk about it. Play there. This is so obvious. It's like the nose in front of your face. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. One scenario that has not happened in the U.S., has happened here in Canada, and we're going to have to take long looks at it, okay? We like to believe the worst is over. We'd like to believe that a second wave won't cause more problems in our retirement homes and long-term care homes, but a new study today shows that we did quite badly here, okay? And we got to find out why and make sure it never, ever happens again. There's there's massive amounts of tragedy with COVID-19 period in Canada, but I don't think there's anything that's quite like this scenario here. So the deaths are remarkably high compared to other developed countries. That report coming today from the Canadian Institute for Health Information, and it's it, it damns all of us. It damns how we've cared for our seniors. LTC residents made of 81% as of May 21st of all reported COVID-19 deaths. Compare the other 15 countries getting looked at, 42%. 81 to 42. 
again, a tragedy beyond words, but we're going to have to find some, and we're going to have to find some answers. I'm very pleased to bring on Christina Lewan. She's Senior Researcher for Health Systems Analysis and Emerging Issues at the Canadian Institute for Health Information. Christina, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it, and uh, thanks for coming on. I'm happy to, to be here with you. I get uncomfortable and, and unsettled even talking about those numbers. Um, we have had a mass tragedy here. It has been beyond belief. Uh, the grief uh, and the anger that we've moved between like a windshield wiper. Um, did those numbers even startle and, and um, confound you that they were so distinctly different from the other developed countries that have had this happen? Well, I think it's sort of part of the reason why we did this study in the first place is because, you know, as you say, what happened in our long-term care sector is our national tragedy. So we've counted to date that there have been over 840 outbreaks in uh, long-term care homes and nursing homes and retirement homes across the country, which is a very large amount of outbreaks. And we know that, uh, you know, more than uh, 5,300 uh, residents of long-term care facilities and retirement homes uh, were dead as a result of the coronavirus. And that's as of last month. So now the numbers are even higher today. So what we wanted to do is take stock and see, well, how does our situation really compare with that of other countries for our long-term care sector specifically? And there's a little bit of good news and there's a little bit of bad news in the numbers, I would say. So when you look at those raw numbers, uh, uh, we're actually somewhere in the middle when we compare ourselves to the 16 other countries. So there's other countries like France, Italy, Spain, and the UK that had more than 10,000 deaths in, in their uh, long-term care facilities as of uh, end of May. And the U.S. was already at 30,000. Of course, the U.S. has a much bigger population, and those numbers are probably you know, considerably higher today. However, when we do look at that proportion of, of, of long-term care deaths uh, to the total COVID deaths in Canada, that's where we really stick out here. So uh, what that tells us uh, is that 81% of our deaths uh, happened in long-term care homes or retirement homes. And that's uh, twice the average of what you see in other countries, and and we really stand out. So so what's that that's telling us is that, well, kind of overall we did a pretty good job when you look at our overall mortality rate in Canada for COVID nineteen. We do compare pretty well to most other countries. Mm-hmm but not our long-term care sector. That was really, really the weak spot in our in our uh, health system and in our pandemic planning. Christina Lewand, our guest uh, from the Canadian Institute for Health Information. Was some of it our messaging? And I want to ask if, if you draw a delineation between how well uh, they were able to do this in, in B.C. Bonnie Henry is getting a lot of praise uh, as, as the provincial health officer, and no one wants to lay the, the, the entire scenario in Ontario at, uh, you know, at, at, the, at, at the feet of the Ford government or at Dr. David Williams. But B.C. seemed to do an awful lot of things, an awful lot of things, Christina, quicker and more efficiently, like, like multi- people going to multiple LTCs than Ontario did. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, and that's a really good point that you raised there because what we found is that 
the variations of uh, results in long, the long-term care se- sector within Canada were even greater than uh, the international variation that we saw. And that depended, you know, largely, I mean, some of it was luck, because we know in the territories, for example, where they have zero cases, well, there's not many, you know, people coming, uh, international travelers going there, so that that's a little bit of luck. But policy definitely and interventions definitely had a lot to do with it. That was true internationally, and that was also true within Canada. And the point you raise about uh, Bonnie Henry, one of the uh, policy initiatives that they brought out really quickly, was restricting uh, workers, long-term care workers, and um, personal support workers uh, from working in more than one facility. And that in that policy was brought in really quickly as soon as they realized there was a problem uh, for this uh, very, very vulnerable sector in particular. And when you contrast that to, for example, uh, Quebec decided to, when they started having problems in their long-term care sector, uh, uh, decided instead to redirect hospital staff to the long-term care sector. But what that did is that created even more people coming in and out of the nursing homes and potentially might have contributed to the spread of infection in that province. So you could see that, you know, what choices were made can make a really big difference. Uh, but I think the big story internationally is, is those countries that acted very quickly with uh, measures that were targeted to the long-term care sector. Uh, infection control measures specifically did much, much better. Yeah, and Vancouver and B.C. had to move. They saw what was happening in Seattle and, and King County, and, and that might have been you know, uh, an impetus to move quickly. I've got one more for you. Does the report sort of weigh in on the future of, of LTCs here? And I mean the immediate future. There's, uh, you know, they're starting to open those back up again. There are obviously, mm-hmm. you know, people and, and residents and families that are, that have been considering weighing. We all do are going to do this someday, weigh the pros and cons of putting their fathers and mothers, uncles and aunts into these homes. What are the recommendations about where we'll be over the next several months? And especially if there's a second wave in the fall, a lot of families would be concerned. Well, I mean, I think this has prompted really important discussions, particularly in the provinces where that have been the hardest hit. So that's Quebec and Ontario. Uh, that's where we're seeing the bulk of the uh, uh, cases and deaths in, in the long-term care sector. And um, uh, it, like uh, we hope that you know some lessons have been learned about how to how to properly control the spread of infection, what policies work in terms of pre- preventing the, the spread of infection, and uh, we're seeing in both provinces. Uh, uh, that uh, there are in different stages of of uh, you know deconfinement that visitors are being allowed uh, back in under under very strict conditions of course uh, but I think you know part of what 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 this pandemic has shown us as well is is really important role that families play in our in our nursing homes and long term care sectors in terms of providing that informal care because uh, you know there were uh, <laughs> almost cases of, of of negligence when you know family members were left out and healthcare workers were getting sick which is yes. another big part of the story in Canada so uh, w- so uh, we're hoping that you know we've 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 learned from this first wave. Uh, that we'll be better prepared. Uh, at least we'll have the right equipment in place and hopefully the right procedures in place. But I think, you know, bot- bottom line as well is uh, that there's probably some structural and systemic problems that need to be looked at in our long-term care sector to make sure that our seniors get, get the care that they deserve. 
So well put. Thank you very much for the time and, and for that message and, and for uh, the research. I'm glad it's getting the attention it's getting today, Christina. Appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Got it. Christina Luan from the Canadian Institute for Health Information. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Craig Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.